Longhorn fans, Sooner Nation, welcome to episode 105 of the Boomer Bevo Podcast, the only podcast exclusively dedicated to covering the greatest rivalry in college football, the University of Texas and the University of Oklahoma. I'm here with my man, Kevin Miller. I am John Whitson. We made the conscious decision not to record last night, Wednesday night, because Oklahoma and Texas were locked in an epic battle on the hardwood between the ladies that resulted in a back-to-back Big 12 championship for Jenny Baranchek and the Oklahoma Sooners. Kevin, I thought the officiating was of the utmost professional level. I appreciated sure their sure commitment. I appreciated their commitment to accuracy and to making sure that the right call was made at the right time. Your coach behaved reprehensibly and like a loser because that's what he was at the end of the game when Lexi Keys hit a three-pointer with 4.5 seconds to go. Oklahoma back-to-back Big 12 Women's Champions. Jenny Baranchek can coach. These girls can play. Kevin, does this spiral the Texas Longhorns women basketball team completely off the map? And does their season end disastrously with this loss to the Oklahoma Sooners? Because that's what it feels like to me right now, that y'all are in a tailspin with no chance of recovering for the postseason. Now nah, we'll be all right, man. Number three ranked team in the country. Hmm. Tournament's coming up. We're going to make a decent run. We're going to be all right. We blew that one last night. I mean, credit to, to you guys and your coach, right? Uh-huh. For, and credit to her for making a tough three, but – I mean, allowing all these offensive rebounds. Our best, player, our best player, player was in foul trouble all night and only had six points, and we still beat you. So I don't know if you well, blew it our best, or if we our won best the game. Player, our best player is out with the 20 ACL. Yeah, yeah. Our best player played in the game. Let's talk about players that are playing in the game. That's the weakest thing I've ever heard you no, say. I mean, you, you, you know what? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're, you're, you're talking you're about a player with a torn ACL right now? Enjoy the assist you got from Texas not rebounding. Oh. And enjoy the assist you got on the phantom traveling call. You know exactly what I'm talking you about. You know what traveling is, right? It's when you move without the ball without dribbling, and that's what your player did. She moved even when without, the ball was stripped. She had the ball in her hand and she moved without dribbling. It's a very simple call. It's traveling. It's traveling in the first minute of the game and it's traveling in the last minute of the game. That's the easiest call in the book. I was a basketball referee for years. Easiest call in the book. That your coach on, is a sour grapes kind of coach. That's all he is. He's looking for excuses of why they lost and wants to pin it on the officials. Come on, she traveled. She traveled. Well, they lost the game. They lost the game because they couldn't rebound. They refused True. to rebound. And in, sure. in, in addition to not just rebounding, they're ta- they're, the two players are tapping the ball away from each other on rebounds. we got two players in position, and they're literally both going forward, knocking the ball out of bounds. Gus had three extra possessions in the final minute. Couldn't buy a bucket until nope. that last shot went in. So nope. I still don't think it was a travel. I'm more upset with the lack of rebounding down the stretch than I am with that. Um, 21 offensive rebounds against five offensive rebounds. And that is, listen, when you say it from an Oklahoma perspective, you say things like hustle stats and commitment to finishing the playout. From a Texas standpoint, I think you've got to look and go, okay, we're 
we're bigger and faster and stronger than Oklahoma. What the heck happened? What keeps a team like that from being able to to def- to get defensive rebounds in this case and offensive rebounds on the other end? Yeah, man, that's what was uh, most confusing about all of this, right? And it's not like if you watch some of them, it's just weird bounces of the ball. And there are several times I see three Texas players kind of just looking at each other and the ball is just bouncing and they're expecting each other to get it. And then, oh, you just grabs it. It was, hey, it was, it was bizarre. Man. Even on the game winning play, Skylar Van, I mean, she, I mean, I don't want to, she out hustled two Texas players. She had no business getting that ball. It gets the ball, flips it to Lexi Keys, and that girl hits a you know shot of a lifetime type thing. Yeah, monumental shot. Listen, I was watching the women's game, and I was I was watching the women's game on ESPN Plus and the men's game on ESPN Plus. I wanted to dedicate equal time to both games, Kevin. I couldn't do it. The Oklahoma men's and Iowa State, for that matter, both teams. That was hard to watch last night. That was bad basketball. Did you see any of that? You know, just a few minutes. I was keeping up with the score, and then I saw it was almost halftime. The score was still in the low 20s for both teams. I'm like, I'm not even going to do this. And besides, like you said, the women's game was was really captivating. Texas would go up by 10. You guys would claw your way back. Then Texas would go on another run. Then you guys go on a run. So it, it was hard to turn away from that to watch no, the women's game. A- with, that was that low scoring. It was – let's go back to the girls' game because that's the one that matters. You're right. The boys, I, I don't know what they were doing. The girls, that was classic Red River basketball right there, right? I mean, that's, this is why we have a podcast is because games like that, a little bit of controversy, um, a little bit of luck for Oklahoma, but at the same time, making plays when you got to make them to win the game, it was fantastic. What I was really impressed with with Texas's game, though, just as a side note, and you, this is something you don't see in the men's game, is the mid-range game for Texas. Y'all made so many 12 to 15-footers, and really Oklahoma had no defense for it. There was no real defense for Texas's mid-range game. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job of uh, on their offense with their motion and get into those spots. And, I mean, the Moore kid, she was incredible last night. What she have friends with 26 points? No, I thought that was Booker. Or Booker. Did I have Booker, the wrong sorry, person? Booker. Yeah, Madison no, no, Booker. Right, Booker. She played all yeah. 40 minutes, all 40 minutes, 26 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. Girl played girl, girl played out of her mind, but she had to because two of your girls fouled out. And that if you want to talk about that instead of the ACL excuse, which I thought was really weak, you want to talk about two of your girls fouling out, that definitely changes. No, I mean, you're the talking about the best game. players and the performances of best players. Well, you had 23 fouls. Oklahoma had 22 fouls. Seems pretty even to me, especially for a game on the road for Texas. Yeah, no, no, no. The officiating was bad. It was just bad. I'm not saying it was bad in favor of OU. It was bad. Some of the fouls that they were calling throughout the entire game, even the first half, there were some fouls they were calling OU. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, this is... I- there was a chart in addition to the traveling call, which was accurate, which is a good call. There was a charge, though, in the late in the second half, late in the fourth quarter. I thought your coach, I, I, I can't believe he didn't get a technical foul. I know. I'm surprised like could, he swallowed the whistle on that. I, I they, thought he was going to get teed up, too. They panned to him, and not only was he loud and animated, but the language he was using was incendiary. Yeah, right? He was, I mean, he was getting after it. And I just can't believe. I think in this case, against Oklahoma on the road, it was probably the right decision to swallow the whistle. Um, 
But I think, I don't know, maybe you got to team up there. It was a lot. He was getting after It was him. a lot. Man, but I don't know, man. Just the entire game, I was not a fan. Again, Texas lost the game because they did not rebound down the stretch. Right? They had so many chances to just get a rebound and force OU to foul with the chance to put the game away at the free throw line. Um, they just couldn't get a rebound. You can't give up three possessions at, at the end. The girls, uh, my daughters and I went and watched um, OU girls play Southern over the Christmas break. Um, Southern is a terrible team um, in a non-Power 5 conference. And OU gave up a fourth quarter lead to lose to Southern, who is unranked and terrible. And I left that game thinking, maybe maybe we've lost a little bit since, you know, not having – because Bronchek had those three girls last year. Um, uh, of course, right now their names are escaping me. But all the three girls that were just great players, great shooters. And I was thinking to myself, they've lost them. I don't see how we rebound from this middle of the road, big 12 team at best. This is, it's going to be a rough year. And for what they've done since then to bounce back, including two wins against Texas, here's the deal. Texas is a final four caliber team. They still might be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament when it's all said and done, depending on how y'all do in the tournament in the big 12 tournament. So for OU to beat Texas twice, both on the road and at home, man, this is, this is a probably one of the best coaching jobs I've seen by an OU coach in a very long time. Yeah, you've got a good coach, man. You, you guys made a great hire there, and you gotta you might have to really try to hold on, hold on to her because you know you think so. What, what, I mean, what, what, I mean, what other school? I mean, you've got LSU's. LSU's a probably uh, I don't know if LSU's a better job. You know, think typically UConn. Um. Tennessee, Stanford, but do you really leave? I mean, Oklahoma's going to be able to pay just as much. If it's a money thing, I would think Oklahoma can pay just as much. I mean, I don't know. Does blue-collar women's basketball teams have the same allure as blue-collar men's basketball teams do to women coaches? I don't know, but the success is undeniable, right? I mean, you know, and finding different ways to win games. You scored 91 points in Austin. You know yeah, I mean? So I think the ability to, to coach a team that can win in multiple ways is a great is the sign of a great coach. Dude, I and hope they make when a, you don't play your best. You're playing against a really good team and you're not playing your best and you still find a way to win. I hope they make a run in the tournament. We'll we'll see. It'll it'll be really interesting. All right. Switching to boys basketball, which as of last night wasn't nearly as exciting for Oklahoma, but Tuesday night was big time for Texas. You went into we can do Texas basketball there on the bracket. Yeah, there you go on the graphic. Uh, you guys go into Lubbock for your last time as a conference opponent against Texas Tech. And, dude, there was some controversy. There was some shenanigans. And you come out with a win despite all that can go on in Lubbock. Uh, that gets you all to 7-8 and eight in the conference. What happened in Lubbock? And uh, why did it feel so good to beat Texas Tech that last time? Well, first of all, you, you know how it is, right? One thing, we disagree yeah, on a lot of things. Buttholes. We disagree on most things, but – we can't agree on our disdain yeah. for Texas Tech fans. They're ridiculous. Right? Worst we fans. Both in the have country. been to games there. Yeah, is it's not a fun place to go to as an opposing fan. So to go in that building where we have not won in years since before Chris Beard was a coach there, right? To go in there and not just win, but that was a 
comprehensive victory, right? It was wire to wire. Texas was the better team for all 40 minutes of the game. It hit some big shots, did some really good things defensively. The shenanigans you talked about were pretty funny, right? Um, you know, one of our players gets elbowed. Max Asmus gets elbowed by one of the tech players. And then, you know, Brock Cunningham comes in and, and you know, gets the guy back by basically cross-checking them into the scores table, which I got him a flagrant too. For the record, I have no problem with that at all. You know, I have no problem with that at all. That's what sports are supposed to do. Like this is big boy basketball. And if you're going to throw elbows in one of your guards faces, you have to have somebody stand up for him. You know, we saw this in an Oklahoma football game. I don't even remember. Was it West Virginia or something? Our offensive lineman gets thrown out. I don't care. I want to see that. If I'm a Texas fan, if I'm a Texas player, that gets me fired up, dude. That gets me fired up. You don't got to be dirty about it. He wasn't dirty about it. He just retaliated, and that's okay. Yeah. It was just one of those crazy shoulder-to-shoulder deals. Almost like, remember Robert Ory on Steve Nash? Yep. Yeah, it was kind of similar to that. He just kind of caught him while he was running and slammed him into the sideline. So, I mean, yeah, aside that, um, I thought both teams did a pretty good job of of staying calm because that game could have exploded once something like that happened. Yeah. So credit both teams for that. But, no, man, it was just a great victory. Um, Dylan DeSue continues to impress, 21.6 rebounds. A. Smith with 18 points. And your boy Kendall Weaver, who you talked about with his interesting appearance with the uh, 15 points and eight rebounds. He's just an ultimate hustler out there on the court. So, man, this team, we talked about this. This whole conference is crazy. It's up and down, one game to the next. It's hard to even get a two-game winning streak in this conference because the games are just so competitive. Well, I don't know how to organize this because there's just there's so much going on in this conference, but let's jump to Bracketology just real quick for Texas. So – in the latest bracketology, which came out, I believe, before the Texas Tech win. So this is following the Kansas loss. Texas was the in the last four in or the last four buys, I guess, missing the opening round games. But you're in as a 10 seed. But then you go ahead and beat Texas Tech, who is a, you know rated as a 7 seed. So my guess is that bumps you up a little bit. You know, but you're still on the bubble. Texas is still on the bubble. Oklahoma, we talked about it, lost to lost to Iowa State, not unexpected, coming off a ginormous win against Oklahoma State. Uh, JVL McCollum hits an epic shot to win Bedlam on what was a terrible play design. Uh, Porter Moser described it after the game that he wanted McCollum to get to the basket, try to make something happen. I guess Oklahoma State's Guy defended him really well. I thought there was plenty of time to maybe draw up a better play. Doesn't matter. Guy's tippy-toeing on the sideline. Reminded me of Sean Elliott um, on Memorial Day. I had the same thought when I saw that. Yeah, it was Memorial Day, Sean Elliott. You know, if his heel comes down just a second earlier, uh, that game is over. But huge shot. Oklahoma also at an eight seed as the latest bracketology that included the OSU win but did not include the Iowa State loss. So you wonder, in terms of bracketology, does that switch OU and Texas, you know, maybe from 8 to 10, right? I mean, it could almost do that. Um, Oklahoma currently 7-8, and 19-9. Next game is against number one, Houston. Texas 7-8, and 18-10. and 10. 
next game against aforementioned Oklahoma State on Saturday. Kevin, we both have three games left. A game against each other. We've talked about it all year, and we're just going to continue to do it because there's just no separation. What does Texas have to do in these remaining three games to secure a spot in the NCAA tournament? OSU, real quick, OSU, Baylor, Oklahoma. I think you got to get two out of the three just to make it a no doubt. Oklahoma has Houston, Houston, Cincinnati, and Texas. I mean, you, you assume it's a loss against Houston. You assume maybe a win, although you can't assume anything, but it's at it's at home, a win against Cincinnati, and then at Texas, which we know is going to be a toss-up, I think. Um, yeah, it should be. If Oklahoma goes one and three, that takes their record to eight and ten. If you go two and three, that takes your record to nine and nine. I've been saying it all year. I think you have to have a 500 record. I think if Oklahoma ends at eight and 10, they've got to win one game in the big 12 tournament, maybe two. All possible. Yeah. Very possible. I mean, if Oklahoma beats Cincinnati and beats Texas, then they're in the same boat that I just said for, for, I mean, that's, that's what it's coming down to. These teams are so very similar in their games, in their seasons, everything that's happened to them. Um, It is going to really, I mean, and I, I got to tell you, I don't know that Oklahoma's seasons ever come down to a Texas game necessarily. As does that usually not it's a the, Kansas game remember. or an Oklahoma State game or something like that. Rarely, but it could hinge on a win in Austin, and the and that that place could be electric for an Oklahoma uh, matchup last game of the year, especially if you yeah, need last it to. Game of the year. I don't know. It, there's a lot uh, recapping. The rest of bracketology, Houston, of course, is a one seed. Iowa State's a three seed. KU a two seed. Baylor four. BYU seven. TCU eight. Tech seven. OU eight. Texas 10. Kansas State is the next four out. So they are kind of on the bubble. Um, That's nine out of 14 teams. Yeah, I mean, this... This conference is insane. It's been that way the last few years. And, I mean, Houston could be a potential Final Four team. Might be the favorite to win the whole thing this year. And there are several other teams, I think, to make it, that are capable of making a deep run. The only thing that helps when you um, being in a league this tough is that the losses aren't nearly as penal as they are in other leagues. So a yeah. loss to Houston – on Saturday, if that occurs, won't hurt you in your net rankings, right? I mean, I don't no. – your net rankings are going to be that affected by it, correct? No, not at all. Yeah, but, man, I – what OU can't do – what OU can't do in Oklahoma and Texas for that matter, we can't go 0-3. Correct, yeah. You can't just fall apart like that at this point in the year and expect to get into the tournament. God, man, That's what can't happen. I don't know. It's yeah, just we'll standings real quick here. And uh, I don't know if you can see that, but yeah, I mean, Houston 12 and three leading the way. Iowa State at 11 and four. Kansas is nine and six. So is Baylor. 
right? Tech eight and seven, BYU eight and seven, TCU eight and seven, Texas seven and eight, Oklahoma seven and eight, also Kansas State seven and eight, but then even UCF six and nine. Yeah. So, well, and it's it's funny though, and it's just a couple games away from everything being flipped. And I'm looking at that K State, and you know they've won two in a row, which is which is a to your point an oddity this year. However, Houston is demonstrating why they're number one in the country. Um, with a six-game win streak, twenty-five and three overall. Um, I don't know. The, the problem I root for Houston a little bit. I mean, obviously not when we're going to play them, but I like Kelvin Sampson, underrated coach when he was at Oklahoma. I still think um, there's always talk great about, things there. There's always there's always talk about how potentially he wore his welcome out at Oklahoma, but I don't know. I have a hard time. Well, I think everybody wears their welcome out everywhere. Eventually, right? I mean, they run you off at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I just think it was his style of play more than anything. They, it was a constant comparison to Billy Tubbs. Billy Ball wanted, you know, 120 points a night. And Kelvin Sampson wanted to win the game by, you know, grinding it out. You know, and we'd get so many wins that were 56 to 52. And yeah, it just wants to use 30 seconds or, yeah, 30 seconds of the shot clock. Yeah, and back then I think it was 35 or 40 seconds. When he had yeah, it. 35, yeah. And so I think that um, – now I don't know if – he doesn't play that same style in Houston though, right? They can they tend to get up and down more. They than seem – yeah, they seem to run a little bit more. The keys evolved and, you know, maybe coaching up to the athletes he has right now. Well, either way, it's – the thing is we could keep talking about this, but nothing has materially changed in the Big 12 – Oklahoma and Texas continue to mirror each other. They continue to be side-by-side side in the standings, and it could all come down to this final game, which um, could be a really, uh, really exciting weekend. Um, let's take a minute and thank our sponsor, Brown O'Haver. Brown O'Haver works for the insured, not the insurance company. So if you've got a property loss to your home or your business that you've had to file an insurance claim on, you want to hire your own adjuster. It works for you, not the insurance company. And the number one public adjuster in the uh, country is Brown O'Haver. So give them a call at 405-735-5510. Typically get you as a client 30 to 40% more than you'd get on your own. Call Brown O'Haver, 405-735-5510. Kevin, in not so much college football news, but Oklahoma and Texas football news, going to the NFL Combine. Kevin, this is the most Texas-laden combine in terms of players. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven players from last year's squad that will be participating on some level at the combine. The most talent-laden Texas combine since when? Oh, nine? Probably, yeah. Probably 2010, maybe 11. And we still have um, players from those that 09 team who were still around. You're, you're, 11, you're 11 players, um, and they could all get drafted really, really high. Like, we're not talking about mid range draft picks here, we're talking day one, day two draft picks. Am I, am I off the mark there? Yeah, I think, um, we've got a chance for several guys to go in the first two rounds, right? Um, Byron Murphy, I believe, will be the first. And potentially the first defensive lineman drafted. Also, um, Tavondre Sweat will have A.D. Mitchell 
Xavier Worthy and Jatavian Sanders all potentially going the first two rounds. Um, where's Jonathan Brooks coming off the injury? Um, he's you know, he's going to be at the combine, but not participating in drills. Correct. Yeah, he'll be there to, to do the interviews and everything. Um, from what everything I'm hearing, his medicals are checking out. He's right on track to be ready for training camp um, in the NFL this year. So whatever team picks him, they'll have him ready to go this season. From what I've heard, he's been running back one on most boards. We'll see how much the um, injury affects him. You know, it's different now than it used to be, right? A torn ACL would be the end. And now it's not seen as a big deal, especially once Todd Gurley went in the top 10 coming off of a torn ACL at Georgia, right? And we saw the kind of career that he had. I mean, injuries ultimately caught up to him. But for those five years, he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. So... Look, you and I, you and I talked Brooks all season. He and he, he really, really, really did have a, a tremendous season. And it, despite even continuing to win the Big Twelve, I think it not having him against Washington definitely hurt. Although I don't know if Sark would have given him the ball. Um, but when you were watching Brooks, did you during the season were you thinking number one running back off the board type season? No, I mean I was thinking he would be. He was looking to me like a second round pick at running back. Which he still could. I mean, I guess he still could yeah. be a second-round pick. So, yeah. I mean, he, he was really impressive. We knew he had talent. But, you know, losing Bijan, who's a generational talent, and Roshan Johnson, who was a number two running back, we just didn't know. And you have to remember this, that C.J. Baxter actually won the starting job going into the season, the true yeah. freshman. And, you know, he got a little banged up. And that's when we really saw Jonathan Brooks really become a great player. So, it really surprised us at how consistent he was and, you know, the way he broke tackles and was able to show some good speed too. So I'm excited for him, man. Um, anytime we're sending players to the NFL, especially early, I mean, I think that's great and it's really good for recruiting. Okay. So I, here's the deal though, right? So you see, we've talked win totals. We talked, I think we might've talked win totals in our last episode. Um, y'all were at 10 and a half. When you see this many players and this many good players leaving the program for the NFL, um, I, I understand that everybody is confident in Sark's ability to reload. You know, it's not a rebuild, it's a reload. But man, you're replacing some huge names at skill positions, at interior positions, in the secondary. Like it is across the board. It is not just you know, one localized area that you can address in the portal. Um, does this give you any pause uh, with your expectations for next year for Texas football? You know, I haven't really made my expectations for next year, despite the betting lines coming out. I want to see how the roster looks after the spring, really going into, into fall camp, right? And like I said, I think it just shows that we're becoming a program that is capable of reloading. We lose some guys. My biggest concern is the defensive line, losing Sweat and Murphy. Those right. are the that's the position that really concerns me. With Sark, I trust fully that we'll have receivers ready to go. I trust that CJ Baxter and Jaden Blue, because we saw it after Jonathan Brooks was injured for the season. So I, I believe in that. We got a lot of offensive linemen back. We lose Christian Jones. I think we'll be fine there at, at right tackle with um Cam Williams stepping in. My biggest concern, even with the secondary, we brought some guys in from the portal who I think are going to make the team even better. Andrew McCuba at safety. I can't wait to see him transfer out of Clemson. Three-year starter for them. I'm excited to see him. But again, and 
So it's the two inside guys, Sweat and Murphy and Jalen Ford, that I'm most concerned about. Sanders? Sanders? Sanders, too. Sanders, too. I mean, obviously, he's a dynamic athlete at tight end. I do like Gunnar Helm as a tight end. He's not nearly as explosive as Sanders is, but um, he played well when he did get in the game, scored a touchdown in the River of a shootout last year. So I, I think we'll be okay. Well, Oklahoma, on the flip side, one of the lightest classes, at least at the combine, that I can remember in a long time. And all three are on the offensive line, Guyton, Andrew Rame, Walter Rouse. Um, seeing three dudes work out there is great for the prestige of, I think, Beaton Bowen, his ability to develop and you know continue to work the transfer portal and build, bring some guys in. But on the flip side, I view it as a positive with the, I mean, because with the exception of um, Dylan Gabriel leaving, it means that everybody else stayed. Billy Bowman could be on this list. Um, I'm still stunned that he isn't, by the way. Yeah. Billy Bowman could be on this list. Stutzman could be on this list. Uh, there's, there's some dudes there that, that aren't here. Um, I'm surprised Drake Stoops isn't at the combine. Does that surprise you? Yeah, I was a little surprised, right? With his production, I figured he was a guy that would get an invite. Well, it, it really is because his production was really good, plus uh, his performance at one of the senior bowls, whichever one that was. Yeah, he was um, a shrine, shrine bowl. Yeah, I'm, so I'm just – I don't know what – I mean, there's going to be some names of dudes that we don't even recognize. Like, what's one more receiver coming from Oklahoma with a, yeah. with a name? I, I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't know who's responsible for, you know, putting together these invites. But, yeah, I was a little surprised by that. You know, for me, as a Texas fan, the narrative, and this was an absolutely true narrative about Texas, was that, hey, you know, in other schools, if you negative recruit against Texas, you can bring up two things, right? Number one is they aren't winning a lot of games. And then secondly, they aren't developing players. They're not sending guys to the NFL. Yes. And it's great to see that part being over. And really, you can see it after Sark's first year that they were just guys who came out of nowhere and were all of a sudden getting better. Christian Jones was buried on, on the – he was a pretty high recruit. He was buried on the bench before um, Sark got there. And then he ended up being honorable mention all Big 12 last season, not the one that just ended in uh, 2022. And just knowing where he was, how buried he was on the depth chart, to see him go from that to that and now be invited to the combine, it just shows that this staff – is doing a really good job of developing that player. So I'm glad they've ended that narrative. What you hope for, what you hope is Oklahoma fan is that uh, that narrative continues um, and kind of flows into the old school. Um, uh, is it John Cooper from my uh, Ohio state? What's that? The, that he could oh just, yeah. That he we'll could beat everybody. In, if you wanted to go to the NFL, you went to Ohio state, but if you wanted to win games, you went to Michigan. Like that's, yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of the vibe Oklahoma is going to, I think kind of get into, because I, I agree with you. I don't see, especially with Texas and Oklahoma, the sec, um, the recruiting avenues, and we've seen it in recruiting classes now for the last three years. The narrative now is that Oklahoma and Texas, although I think we were always big boys, I think we're big boys at the big boy table now. And it's allowing our recruiting to be indicative of that. And so I think you're going to see it. But 
I mean, what what makes puts a smile on my face is that you have eleven guys going to the NFL combine, and we beat you with three guys going to the NFL combine. Like that's to me, that's that's a happy place. But it's really the only justification I've got. It's well, the only thing that makes me know, feel good then, about seeing the list. And it just shows how crazy that game is, right? I mean, we we Texas. I've seen Texas beat Oklahoma in years where they had zero players trapped. Yeah. So you know, it just shows how insane this rivalry is when it comes to, especially on the field, right? It just doesn't matter who has the most talent. You know, those things just don't matter when it comes down to the field at the Cotton Bowl. Um, We think that this is the greatest rivalry in college football. When it gets introduced as an SEC game, does it heighten our rivalry even more? Is it going to take our rivalry to greater heights? Are we going to... um? Is is are we going to distance ourselves as the continued greatest rivalry in college football? You know what? I think the national, you know, opinion is that Ohio State and Michigan is still the top rivalry in, in college football. But I hope so, right? It's just a little bit unfortunate. I kind of wish that the uh, SEC would still be on CBS because it would be awesome to see this game in that two thirty time slot on CBS, right? When we used to have Vernon Lundquist and Gary Danielson on the call. I know Vern is retired, but, you know, just to have something like that, that would just take it to another level because every SEC fan watches that game in that 230 time slot. Yeah, I just – we've talked about this. I mean, going to ESPN, um, I think it's going to help with our time slots in terms of, like, Oklahoma getting so many 11 a.m. games. I think I think we're, we're going to have a chance of kind of – evening out a little bit more and maybe even getting some more primetime games being with ESPN. But in terms of coverage, I would have killed to stay with CBS at least a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, it just, just it, one year, just give us one year to give us the revenue shooter out the two thirty national CBS time slot. Dun, 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 that dun, game, oh yeah. yeah. And that game was always fun, man. You get the best Alabama, Tennessee, you know, Georgia, LSU type games. Love it. Well, and you know, we, it was the production value too. It just felt like a big game. Every every two thirty kick on CBS was produced like a really really big game. Correct. They did a and great what, job with it. And what you wonder about ESPN now is the direction they're going towards plus and the number of crews they've got and things of that nature. Is you you lose some of that production? That was what was nice yeah. about the big about the big noon kickoff. The big noon kickoff game always felt like a big game. Like I hated it being at 11, no. but at least it felt good. Like the production it's value was good. ESPN's been a crapshoot lately. It has. And, and that game is, you know, if you're into TVs and stuff, that game was actually broadcast in 4K on Fox. Yeah. Right. You have YouTube TV, you have access to it. So yep. yeah, you can watch the game in 4K. ESPN, they're still showing games in 720p. Yeah. Like that, that's what we were watching in 2005. Yeah. They're still broadcasting big football games in 720p. It, it makes no sense. So you're right about that. At least CBS was in 1080p. And, but, but the Fox, that's a really good point you bring up. That's one thing I'll miss about that big new kickoff. The 11 a.m. kickoff can suck a lot of the times, but it's nice seeing being able to see your team play in, in a big production with a great uh, broadcasting crew. It just felt like it was the biggest game going on that week, and it was in 4K. Now, part of that problem was that Oklahoma um, wasn't good two years ago and wasn't great last year in terms of greatness. They just weren't where they needed to be so that they got stuck with 
I don't know, man, the second and third crew at ESPN, and it just sucks. It just yeah. – um, your big noon kickoff just felt, you know, we're going to lose Gus and Joel, which we've talked about that forever on this podcast. We love Gus and Joel. Um, again, no no dedicated CBS crew. So now you're kind of back to an ESPN world where you're hoping to get Fowler and Herb Street. And I don't know. OU fans has always had mixed views on Herbie. Does Texas fan have feel one way or the other about the same way. crew? Yeah, it's the same way with Herbie. I think everybody likes Fowler. He does a great job, but um, – yeah, Herbie, I think he's gone, gone back and forth with both fan bases over the years. Can I tell you what's bugged me about Herb Street lately is the dog. Okay, it's a little too much. Look, dude, I, I, everybody knows you got a dog. I, I have cats. I don't know. Do you have a dog or a cat? Do you have pets? Yeah, we have a dog. Yeah, I mean, people have pets. That's fine. Like, And the occasional shot of your pet is great. But like seeing his dog on a private jet between games yeah. just was like, okay. We get it. Yeah, here. No, when we leave, our, 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 dog stays, our dog's at home when we, yeah. when we leave. Well, so. Yeah, I don't know what you're – and then and then people would be like, okay, bro, with the dog. Like, you know, he'd be like, oh, can you believe this guy's talking about my dog? Yeah, actually I can. In this situation, <laughs> I can agree with the guy who's like enough with the dog. And I know that that doesn't – but I don't know. The thing with Herbie is maybe he's doing something right. The Texas fan is, is equally – ambiguous about him as Oklahoma fan is, right? Maybe there's times when he comes off as an OU homer, times he comes off as a Texas homer, you know, times he comes off as, as a hater. Maybe that's what yeah. his role is. Yeah, but maybe he's doing, like you said, maybe he's doing it right. Maybe he's maybe that's it. Maybe he's got us all fooled, and that's where a, a good space to be in. But, you know, know, real man. quick, you know who, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Dusty Dvorak, I really enjoyed him calling Texas games. Yeah, and he's he done a really good job, man. He's gotten really, really good. I mean, he's a professional. And, you know, early on, he had the vibe, at least for me, of being ex-jock calling games. Yeah. You know, which is fine. But now he's kind of – he's converted over into being a legitimate analyst. And um, I, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what crew – is he on, like, the third ESPN crew, though? Or is he the second yeah, ESPN crew? I think he might be. I think he's on the third crew. Yeah. Yeah, because it's um, obviously following Herb Street. And the second one is um, McDonough and McElroy. Yeah, and see, McElroy uh, doesn't do it for me. He doesn't do it for really? me. Really? See, I, I really like McElroy, too. No, okay, so you doesn't. take Dusty over, over McElroy. I take Dusty. And not, yeah, and I don't think Dusty's an OU homer. I don't get that vibe. When no, he no. I, don't, I, I mean, I didn't do him calling Texas games. He even called yeah. a shootout, and I don't think he was – showed any kind of bias. I don't know. McElroy is, um, I don't know how to describe. Uh, he's got an indescribable quality that causes me not to like him. Like, I okay. don't like him, and I'm not is sure it, why. He's a rich kid. He's from South Lake Carroll. I mean, Dusty's, like, not poor, you know? I think yeah. he, I don't know that just because, hmm, I don't know. You know dad he's from South Lake Carroll. I didn't realize he was South Lake Carroll. Yeah, he was. Um, they had a crazy run. Um, after uh, when um, Todd Dodge was a head coach, and um, I think he came after Chase Daniel. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh huh. Well, I don't know. I don't know about McElroy. Anyway, it's going to be interesting to see. I hope that I hope that ESPN. Um, I mean, they've invested the money in the schools, right? All the schools are making money. We are we are all richer because of the ESPN deal. 
But can ESPN take some of that and invest in their production value they and give us to, a man. special product for being yes. in, the, in the SEC? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, it, it makes perfect sense. I think that's what the diehard fans are really yearning for, right? Because nothing tops that big noon in the SEC kickoff at 2.30, right? Nothing matches that. And sometimes Fox will show three games in one Saturday in 4K. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, so it's, that it's not that difficult. That weekend, I think they had was it Texas and K State, Washington, Oregon, and maybe one other really good game, USC something like it was like really. Yeah, I remember which one you're talking about, and they were all yeah. available to stream and and, and for watching 4K. Uh, and all it right, just, it takes it to another level. Speaking of uh, things that get absolutely no television coverage. The Thunder, the NBA uh, playoffs are coming up. The Thunder are a half game back in the West. We keep expecting them to fall apart, or at least the media and the national media keeps waiting for them to fall apart. All they do is continue to win and push Minnesota. Um, This Thunder basketball team is good, dude. They are really, 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 really good. And they're in that unique space where everybody's – young and hungry and selfless and willing to do the right basketball play. Nobody's trying to pad stats or chase rings or do whatever they're trying to do. Is Are we at a point where we can call them a legitimate title contender or much like in years past, they're going to have to earn their stripes like other teams have? Well, no, I think you have to call them a legit title contender. All right now, look, it's going to be tough for them to beat a team like Denver, you know, four games out of seven, just because of the size that they have with Jokic, Aaron Gordon, and Michael Porter. But man, this team can play with anybody. Shea Gilgis Alexander continues to lead to lead the way. I mean, I he can legitimately win MVP this year. Yeah, yeah, I mean, legitimately it- be the MVP of the NBA, which would be insane for. A guy, and I remember being excited about him when the Paul George trade happened, right? When they traded Paul George to the Clippers because Kawhi wanted to play with Paul George. But I, you know, I never thought he would become this good. It's been incredible to watch. And then just the way the team is built, Chet Holmgren continues to emerge as an elite defensive player and a guy who can score. He can handle the basketball at seven foot one. He's developing a post game. And then Jalen Williams, J-Dub, I mean, this guy has just gotten so much stronger. He's so physical, and he's shown the ability to make baskets in the fourth quarter with the game on the line. Yeah, something like his real shooting percentage is like 70% in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it's unreal, man. And these guys are so young. I mean, him and Chet, J-Dub's in his second year. Chet is technically a rookie because he missed all of last year with an injury. And then Shea is 25 years old. Their players, I heard this stat on the radio. They have their the players that are under 25 years, 25 years and younger on the Thunder are averaging collectively 114 points a game. Nothing about that makes any sense whatsoever. No. No, I mean, yeah. we've seen this before here, right? When Sam Presti drafted Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden in consecutive drafts. And we saw what that happened. It's happening again. I don't think the national fan, the average casual fan realizes it, but it's happening again right before our eyes, and we get a front row seat to okay. it. Okay, 
So, okay, that's a great, so this is a pretty good comparison. So let's just talk about that for a second. So that first year, the three of them were together, they make it to the finals. Okay. And they, and they get beat by um, Cleveland, not Cleveland. I'm sorry. The heat. And I think what was it? Their second year together, right? Maybe their second year together. Yeah. Um, They get beat by the heat. They didn't perform well. Harden really, Harden really struggled. Nobody expected that, but that really was a precursor to what we could expect from Harden in the playoffs from now on. I mean, he correct. He just fades. It's one of the more crazy things. I loved Harden back then. Loved James Harden. Loved his game, and um, he was not nearly as selfish. But my God, it, he was really, really bad in those finals. Okay, so but you said okay. Well, that's year one, right? This is year one. Now let's see what they do year two and three together. You know, when they get there, of course, then they go and lose to the. Warriors. Um, well, first just, of all, before that, they traded. Remember, they traded Harden right after that finals appearance. I thought that was weird. I thought that was so weird. I, Me too. Why I believe that up, was the owner. It, that, the was, that came from the owner. I don't think that was a Sam Presti thing with not wanting to um, get into the luxury tax. Yeah, but they had a Baca they could have traded, and they probably should have, right? Yeah, they. Yeah, they, they chose. They chose Ibaka. So, but then they, so then they lose to Golden State and then Durant leaves. You, you have to think that if they, if they had one more shot at it, the experience and all of that probably pushes them over eventually. My point is, is this, is this a possibility for this team? Is this, are they going to make it to the Western Conference finals and be rebuffed just because of a lack of experience? Or are they so young and so dumb and so athletic? that maybe those rules don't apply to them. Is that possible? You know, it, it's like I said, I think they can make it to the finals. This is going to be tough to beat, to beat Denver in four games. But what's been surprising me is I always expect them to get bullied around by big teams. Yeah. And they've, they've shown like the ability record. to – They've got a winning record against Denver in the, in the regular season, don't they? Yeah, correct. They've been able to navigate that somehow. So I'm so curious to see how that translates to a playoff series where the game kind of slows down a bit, becomes – more half court now. I trust this team to score in the half court just because Shea is so dynamic. He can do whatever he wants. He can get to his spots. He can get to the rim. He can create space. He can do anything offensively. I think he would probably be voted as the hardest player in the NBA to guard, you know, by perimeter defenders because there's just so many ways that he can beat you and create his own shot. But I'm curious to see how they would defend and how they would deal with teams with multiple seven footers like they have also Minnesota's pretty big too. Um if we if we were to extrapolate this all the way out and let's say they just since for fun here on a random uh Thursday morning, let's say they made it to the finals and they were up against the Celtics. I think they could play with the Celtics. Oh, I think too. they could play with almost any Absolutely. team out of the East. Yeah, I think it's a great I think it's a pretty good matchup for them. I agree. Like, I think the harder of the matchups come from the West. Like getting past Denver, getting back even the Lakers, if they were having to match up against the Lakers in some, that could be a weird matchup for them. It is, yeah, because again, they have they've got crazy size with AD and Ruby Hachimura is big too. But and um, their offensive rebounding is their number one issue. It's it's really actually not very good. Um, I guess in that case, you just have to make more shots, right? Either yeah. get better at offensive rebounding or make more shots. And I think in this yeah. case, this team is a really good shooting team. I don't know that you stress too much about the offensive rebounding. You, I think you just focus on putting the ball in the basket, right? 
yeah, you got to keep continue to try to spread these teams out and find paths to the basket and hit those shots when you when you have them. Right. Um, the team was good defensively, too, man. You know, Chet, when he has the ability to roam. And man, he can really create havoc in there as a shot blocker and just a he's shot a, effector, too. He, I, I got to tell you, he's a lot. You talked about it being rough and tumble. He's a lot more durable than I expected. Um, he's, yeah, he's a dog, really, too, man. Yeah, right. I mean, he's he's not gonna back down from anybody. No, <laughs> you know that's not thing. You either have that or you don't, right? No, no. He's no. had it really since he was in high school. If you if you ever paid attention to his highlights when he was a team not doing Soviet. as well, a team not doing as well as the Thunder is our San Antonio Spurs. You got a quick Wimby update for us, though. Speaking of freakishly athletic big men, well, he. I'm telling you, every time I watch him play, he does something that wows me. Right, they're playing Minnesota the other day. He's at the perimeter. Rudy Gobert is guarding him. This guy is going down low, dribbling between his legs, and does a step back three pointer at seven foot. What is he? Seven four at least. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I've never. I mean, we've never seen anybody that tall be able to handle the ball and to get low down to the floor with it, you know, and to have that kind of skill and agility. I mean. Honestly, I think it's just a matter of time before he's the best player in the NBA. I'll give it okay, three let, years. Okay. Let me um, – maybe, maybe the maybe the league's changed. Maybe there's different dynamics. And I'd like you to kind of expound on this just a little bit. This is for our – we're going to go a little deep here for our Spurs fans. Um, in 1988-89, you, you brought David Robinson in. They were 21-61 and 61 the year prior. Robinson comes in and they're 61 and 21. They didn't add enough. There wasn't another all-star there. There wasn't anybody else that was added there. He had that much of a difference changing the nature of that, uh, of that franchise. Wimben Yama has more physical talents and is a more dynamic player. I think than David Robinson was why in today's NBA does that not result in wins like it did in 88-89? You know, that's a really, really good question. And the only thing I can say is I don't like the team they have around him. I still think, despite him not having any All-Stars in 1989, he still had better players than that. They still have Willie Anderson. Right? They looking Terry up right Cummings. now. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I pulled it up. Willie Anderson. They had Terry Cummings. They also had Sean Elliott, who was another rookie. Vernon Maxwell was on that team. Before he went to to Houston, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny Johnny Moore. Anthony Bowie wasn't a bad player. Anthony Bowie out of Oklahoma wasn't a bad player. There you go. Uh Johnny Moore, who has his numbers in the Raptors, and um, whose numbers retired for the Spurs. Um, and also Rod Strickland. Oh, I hate Rod Strickland. Don't even get me started about what I, I, I know, I know, man. Yeah. When oh, he was my dad played despite what happened against Portland. My dad played in a church league basketball game against Johnny Moore one time. And um I have no idea why that dude was even in a church league basketball game. Like to even to this day, it seems like the weirdest situation in the world. I think he had eight. Was he still in the league? I mean, no, I think he had maybe just left the league or whatever, but okay. I mean Listen, my dad was not a great basketball. I mean, he was a good basketball player, I guess, but it's not like this was some high level rec league. No, it was church basketball. Dudes getting together to play basketball. Johnny Moore rolled out and was shooting shots. You know, everything he took was logo and behind, and it was it was insane. 
Those guys were so good. Even back then, those guys were so good. I agree. I guess you're right that there's a level of uh, competence on that team. But none of those teams, none of those guys are Hall of Famers. Is Sean Elliott in the Hall of Fame? No, no, none of those guys are. Uh-huh. None of those guys are Hall of Famers. I mean, first of all, Sean Elliott's in the Hall of Fame of my heart. Okay, let's Correct. let's be very clear Same about here. that. Favorite spur yeah. of all time. However, none of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Terry Cummings was a nice player. Um, but you're right. You're right. They had a little bit better. But I don't know, man. It's just like, I mean, he, doesn't even handle, he doesn't even handle the ball. Like, if you look at Wimbiama, you would think in terms of touches, he's going to handle the ball more than a David Robinson, right? Because he's – I mean, there's times he's bringing it up and running the offense. Everything's yeah, going correct. through him. Is it? I don't know. It just it's it would well, run, it would have you, it frustrates how, how me. How much have you watched him play? Have you ever have you been able to watch him play at all this year? Yeah, I watched him a handful of times. Yeah, I've okay. been very impressed with him. But you're right. Here's what frustrates me about the team. I think the other guys. There are times that I've watched the Spurs play, and I kid you not, they'll go three or four possessions without Wimbenyama touching the ball. See, that's stupid. What are you doing? Do you understand who you have out here? You know, and, and you see this with some NBA players, right? They, they, I've got this. Or let me show you. Let me show you how it's done. No, 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 no. Kelvin Johnson this. and the other guy. No. This guy's the best player on the team now. I don't care if he's a rookie. He's 19, just turned 20. He is the best player on the team. The offense has to run through him. You cannot have multiple possessions. You really shouldn't have any possessions without him touching the ball once. It's like like Shaq in 2000. I'm not saying he's Shaq in 2000, but you know, when Shaq, there was never a possession where he didn't touch the ball. Which is odd to say that San Antonio has egos with as bad as they are, but you're right. I think there's an element of that, which you should to contrast against the Thunder, which what I, we were just talking about. They don't seem to have egos. Even Shea doesn't have an ego. Like it seems like whoever gets the ball in the motion of the offense is the one that they're expecting to take the shot. Um, but with San Antonio, I, I, I'm, I'm always fascinated in the dynamic of sports that even at the professional level, there is resentment. So what it sounds yeah. like to me, what you're saying is there's a little resentment with Wimbenyama. Like, yeah, dude, we know you're from Euro league. You're this, you're that, you're that, but you know, you're not an NBA player yet until we tell yeah, you. Yeah, correct. Right. It, it certainly seems that way. And I don't know if Which they're is, trying to win. I don't know what their ultimate plan is. I feel like they're wasting the season. They had Sohan running the point for months, which was a disaster. And it did, I mean, it did help him with his ball handling. But he's not a point guard, right? He's six foot nine. Yeah. And he's not Magic Johnson or Penny Hardaway. Right. You know, so it's just weird. I don't like the team that they've constructed around him. And I feel like they're wasting a year. And with Duncan, man, it was just as soon as he was on the team, it was like, let's go. Same thing like you said with David Johnson. But but back then Duncan did have Robinson when he had him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Robinson was coming off an yeah. injury, so you had yeah. another Hall of Famer. Um, you know, I think that, that could be explained a little bit, right? You know, when he turned uh, terms of turning around. Well, you know, Duncan. I mean, Robinson's hurt now. You've got Robinson and Duncan. You had, I mean, those were some nice. I forgot about Willie Anderson. Those were some nice players, but they weren't. I don't know. It just no. it's just fascinating. I think they just fit. Or I think it, like as a team, you had guys with just more experience, right? I mean, Willie Anderson was young; he's only in his second year. But Terry Cummings was in his eight year, eighth year. Um, Sean Elliott was also a rookie. Uh, you had Mike Mitchell, who was ten years in. Johnny Moore was already eight years in. So you just had guys with a little bit more experience, and it just seemed to work better together. When, with this team, all those guys are young. Was that Larry Brown still coaching that team? Yes, Larry Brown was a coach. 
And that, might his first year. Year. that might have been his first year, right? Um, let me see. The previous season. Because he would have been at Kansas in 88. Okay, with Danny Manning, right? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. What do you think of him? Oh. I, th- I thought he was good as an NBA coach. I thought he was good for the Spurs. Um, well, he won an he won an NBA title with the with the Pistons, yeah. who weren't a great and, I mean, team. Would they go to four straight conference finals? I believe. Yeah, and him and him and Allen Iverson. Speaking of having no supporting cast, him and Allen Iverson almost won a title. I mean, they made it to the finals. So yeah, you want to talk about get it, get on my back? I think Larry Brown is just one of those. I think Larry Brown. Um, just wanted to coach basketball and talk about rubbing people the wrong way, probably just rub people the wrong way and they were done with them. But I think he was, yeah, yeah, I think he proved he was a very, very good basketball, very, very, very elite level basketball coach at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, Larry Brown was actually there the season before. So won the title with Kansas 87, 88. And then the 88, 89 season is when he got to San Antonio. And then the next season, his second year is when they got Robinson. Okay. 89, 90. Correct. Yeah. All right, Kevin. Um, I love going down Spurs memory lane. It sucks that we have to do that. I wish it was Spurs um, current state, but it's not. Instead, though, second best, get to root for the Oklahoma City Thunder and see what they do. Um, but what else you got for us? Closing shot, closing shots and thoughts on this Thursday You know what, morning. man? Congratulations to you guys for winning the Big 12 and women's. Still frustrated with how the game ending, like I said. Um but I'm curious to see how they respond in the conference tournament and if they can go on a run in the NCAA tournament. College basketball, man, who knows what to expect. There's no dominant team. There's no dominant player either this year, right? I mean, there's no – this guy is absolutely – there's no Carmelo Anthony. There's no Kevin Durant, you know. There's not even no, Greg you, Oden. Well, this is – we talked a little bit about NFL combine. I guess in the NBA draft, the projected draft, the five players are – Four from Europe and one guy from the G League. Like, no college players go. in the top five of the draft, at least. Man, it sucks, uh, man. It's just not It's not the same. It's not it's the same. Not there the is, same. This is um, – I think that the game is – what's the right word? I think the game – I think there's more parity. Um, I think – more schools are in a in the mix to actually compete for a national championship, i.e. Gonzaga's, and even you know you think of teams like Butler and those schools because the one and done exists. If they avoid the one and done and recruit really solid players and utilize the transfer portal and pick up twenty two and twenty three year old dudes that are playing basketball, and you get a good collection of those, you can compete with the ones and dones in Kentucky and Duke. And, and oftentimes win. I think it's why you haven't seen national championships from Kentucky um, and even Duke in a while and, and things like that because you you have older rosters of experienced players um, that might not be drafted in the NBA draft but are really, really solid basketball players. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's one positive about the game is the parity, but the star power is not there. It's just not. The star power is not there for, for college basketball. And for that, it sucks. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of, you know, reminiscing, right? You miss those days when you had, you have certain teams that have three NBA, feature NBA guys on it. Dude, you've seen my t-shirt, right? My wife bought me a t-shirt. I'm always talking about UNLV. I don't know why. I always had a, I don't know that I was, 
wasn't a huge fan, but I always had the soft part in my heart for that team. I just loved the characters on the team. Dude, I had Stacy Ogman and Larry Johnson on a t-shirt. What yeah. kid, what kid, what what 10 year old today, 40 years from now, is gonna have a t-shirt with two dudes on it from one team? I I don't yeah. even know. No, I mean, you know, some of those Villanova teams with Jay Wright would have guys like Jalen Brunson and and um you know Mikhail Bridges on the same team, guys like that, you know, DiVincenzo, but not, never the star power, like the Duke team. You have, you know, Bobby Hurley, Christian Leitner, and Grant Hill on the same team. Same team. You know? Well, it, but even if you think J- about Jawan Howard, Jalen, you know, Rose, and Chris Weber on the same team. I mean, the biggest star in Oklahoma over the last two years is Trey Young. And his team wasn't even any good. So you yeah. get the star power of Trey Young, and we're going to be wearing that shirt, I guess. That's maybe an example. Yeah. but. Sure. It wasn't like that team was, you know, that team wasn't doing anything. They did nothing. Yeah. They lost to Rhode Island in the first round in overtime. Um, and so I, the star power in some ways is just, uh, it's just that. It's kind of an empty, hollow um, thing compared to, like, the teams. Like, you think about Houston. You'll probably know players off of Houston's team. I don't know a ton um, of players no, off I of Houston's team. I know the shed kid, but that's. That's really yeah. it, yeah. And nobody's going to the – nobody's, again, in the first five picks. You don't have the number one pick there or anything like that like you yeah. did in years past. So, um, yeah, so there's – I think there's good and bads, but the star power lost is definitely – that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Yeah. I'm hoping, man, the G League – the G League Ignite deal hasn't really worked. Oh, right? yeah, you don't the think NBA, so? I don't think so, man. I'm not seeing any guys come from that that are – necessarily better than off than if they would have gone to, to college, especially now with NIL. I'm hoping that'll help college basketball with players maybe staying an extra year even, or even just going to college. Cause you know, we've seen so many players, Scoot Henderson, right. Go to the G league ignite. It just would have been cool to see him in college and see what he could have done. Even if it was just for one year, right. It was cool seeing Anthony Davis play at Kentucky for one year. Zion Williams. It was must see TV when he was playing. Zion Williams was must see television. He was yeah. absolutely fantastic. He was so so yeah. good. Yeah, correct. So right, and he's tuning in. We just don't even have anything like that because I think guys are just finding avenues just to get paid quicker. Hopefully, with NIL, you can get a guy who just a star player. What we do have here. What will happen though, and you know this, is we will go into the tournament not knowing anybody. And after the first weekend, we'll be like, that dude, that dude can play some basketball. Like that, yeah. whoever that guy is on whatever that team is, we're going to come out going, my God, that guy's a basketball player. So I do look forward to that part of it. I think the biggest thing, too, is we just don't watch, you know, as an older guy now, I just don't watch as much college basketball as I used to. I mean, dude, it used to be, like you said, all, I mean, my Saturdays were consumed. Big Monday. Remember Big oh, Monday? Big was Monday, man. Yeah, Big Monday's not a thing anymore. Especially when you get the yeah. Big East teams back in the day. Yeah, like forget the Big East. I'm talking about just Oklahoma teams. Just yeah. Oklahoma on Big Monday against Kansas or Missouri or Oklahoma State or Texas. Yeah. Like those were – I mean, here we are talking. Now Now we're just sound like old dudes all mad about Yeah, we, right. well, we, we're getting there. We're, that's okay. There's a lot of gray in this beard here, but that's all right. That's okay. Uh, Kevin, I just appreciate that you can acknowledge good refereeing and officiating when you see it. And I, I appreciate you being um, mature – and being representative of your fan base and just letting them just, hey, a travel's a travel. When you see a travel, you call it. Simple. When you see a charge in the last minute of the game, you call it. It's easy. It's easy, and I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. 
we'll see you. We'll see you in the, in the, in the conference tournament. Kevin, have a great uh, rest of your day and looking forward to Oklahoma playing Houston, Texas playing Oklahoma State this uh, Saturday. Boomer! Welcome. Okay.